Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor, and I'm here today with one of your other hosts... It is I, Sarah Century. I'm so happy to be here. Also, today we have guests. <laughs> that's Woo-hoo! not that's not abnormal these days. We're an interview podcast now, but I always feel necessary to point this out. Today we have Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Welcome to the show, you two. Hello. Thank you. Woo-hoo! Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. It sounds like somebody stepped on an owl. (laughs) I was trying to be someone who was far away cheering. Oh, okay. I was an owl that was far away cheering. That's it. That was an owl cheer. Well, that's for, perfect. Perfect. For intro. most of our listeners, I think that, you know, you need no introduction, but please tell us about yourselves. Hello. <laughs> um, the end. Well, that was great. <laughs> um, I'm an artist. I've been drawing since I was about three years old because both of my parents are artists. And I used to just, um, you know, make off with their art supplies. Um, and I'm probably best known for uh, Harley Quinn, Power Girl, right now Red Sonia. Marrying me. Come on. That's, that's, like, that's like number 85. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and the pro and um, and uh, you know just doing a lot of drawing in general I think and writing yeah I do writing too I actually Jim, Jimmy's mostly the writer I do some writing but I prefer drawing yes which which is good that intro goes to me uh, Jimmy yes. here um, I started out in comics as an inker and I inked like a thousand comic books and got sick of it and. Switched over to publishing and writing and uh, been working on things oh, since the <clears throat> since the mid-90s uh, event with event comics like Ash and Painkiller Jane. And then uh, eventually to Marvel Knights uh, with Joe Quesada, where we launched uh, Daredevil, Black Panther and Humans and The Punisher and saved Marvel's ass. And then I ran away and started <laughs> writing other books and eventually uh, working with Amanda a lot on things like uh, Gargoyles and... Vampirella, and eventually Power Girl, and Harley Quinn, and Red Sonia. Yeah. That, that should take us up to date. 
Yeah, I was going to note because very recently we had another guest who worked on a Lois Lane comic. And Amanda, I was thinking that the first time I ever saw your work was the Girl Frenzy Lois Lane comics. That's one of my favorite characters. So I just am delighted that I've been able to talk to very recently a bunch of people who have worked on Lois Lane. She She's a great character. Lois Lane is cool because she's like a superhero without any powers. Like, yeah, like she's so brave, you know, it's like, like Superman is strong and like nearly invincible. So he's not going to get hurt. But like Lois sort of throws herself into this same situation, like knowing that she doesn't have the superpowers and she does it anyway. So she's like super brave. That's one of the things I love about her. She's super smart. Yeah, that's what I like about her. She's she's kind of smart enough to know that it's good to have superheroes around, but she's got her own life to live. Yeah. So I kind of like that. You all I cannot see my face right now, but I'm smiling so big and just nodding like happily because I love that character. And I've had a lot of time to sit and think about all of the reasons that I love her. And I always appreciate to meet fellow Lois Lane fans. So it's easy to spell too. Her name's very easy to spell. <laughs> I kind of, I admire that too. <laughs> The four letters and four letters combo is completely unbeatable. Anybody that has a name like that, it's alliterative. All of this, unbeatable, unstoppable. We did a we did one of those uh, Walmart comics, and we did a short story with Wonder Woman and Lois Lane. What? Yeah, that was so much fun. It was Lois was on an adventure, and and then Wonder Woman had to not save her, but lend a hand kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. they, we ended the story with them eating in a restaurant, right? Which which yeah. I always say. Every superhero comic should end with a scene where they're eating in the restaurant afterwards, Um, you know, but that was kind of fun to write because what kind of conversations would those two have? And uh, that was the fun of that story for me, at least. Yeah, they almost never get a team up and they're so good when they team up. I remember Phil Jimenez did that one issue that has the two of them and I was obsessed. It was such a good issue. But yeah, they barely get to team up. Now I'm going to like track down <laughs> this backup story. I think they put it into a collection, um, a Wonder Woman collection, like recently. Like they put all the short stories into one book. Are you going to go hunt for it? Now? I'm looking at it as, we, as we're talking <laughs> because I think it's around somewhere. But if you look this up. information I need. If you look up Amanda Connor and Wonder Woman in the latest trades, I think it came out within the past six or eight months. So okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know. Where, I don't know where fun. it is. It's it's somewhere. I remember doing the covers for it, but I don't remember co-writing it. Well, it has a it has a cover. <laughs> it has a cover with maybe it didn't co-write. Maybe I wrote it, but but it. it all passes through you anyway. Um, <laughs> it has a cover of Wonder Woman running with a ton of animals behind her out of a fire. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So that's the cover of the book. I know that cover. Yeah, definitely. I think I might actually already own this comic. <laughs> yeah, because when we when we when we got those Wonder Woman short stories, we were just like, okay, what's the power? You know, Wonder Woman doesn't really use too much, and talking with animals was the one we focused on. Yeah. So uh, it has a lot of animal chat. I think that's, that's the comeback to me. I don't think that's the lowest lane. Oh, is that the comeback to me book? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe that's didn't... come back to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's that's not the short stories. I thought that was. I thought they put them all in one book. Oh, maybe they might even reuse the cover? Yeah, we have no idea what we're talking about. Don't listen to us, folks. (laughs) It's really hard to keep up. (laughs) No, we, we, you know, it's hard to, we we just work and then, you know, we we figure everyone else has to sort it out. So 
Yeah, fair. I have a similar method of working where sometimes I'll look back at something from like five years ago and be like, oh, this is good. I did a great job, but I don't remember it. Like, who is this person writing this? I have no idea. That's how we feel on Harley because we work so much on it. Like once in a while we look back, we look back and go, oh, that's pretty insane. Like, why did that get in there? And then we remember, oh, because something in real life triggered that. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I know one of the, the, what's coming out currently, at least one of them is Invincible Red Sonia, Mm -hmm. which of course we love Red Sonia. Sarah got me up on Red Sonia. And ever since I've been like, I would die for this fellow redhead because, (laughs) you know, redheads are the best part of comics, as I like to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I read an interview where you talked about how when you were when you were writing this run, you really wanted to go back to everything that made you first love Red Zonia. And I thought that was really interesting because you were like, oh, pirates and princesses and Mm -hmm. big battles and cutting people's heads off. All things that are very fun, especially in this run. They're just delightful. But you also paired it with like this pretty like weighty invincibility, right? Like you think invincible and you're like, hee hee, this will be fun. And it's like, oh no, this is a horrible, horrible curse. (laughs) And I'm curious, like what was it that you wanted to get to with those, that playfulness, then, you know, sort of that underbelly of like, oh dang, it would be terrible not to die. Well, I mean, I I think, you know, we kind of just wanted to address, uh, you know, you do when you think, oh, you know, if I could live forever, that would be great. But you know, you know, we were just thinking of the bad sides of it. You know, the the, the downsides of living forever. Yeah, Sonia mm-hmm. didn't have a chance to really explore the good side of it, right? You know, because when <laughs> she when she gets these powers, so to speak, she finds out in a bad spot. You know, because she's not dying from the battle she's in, and it's not like she's using it in any way. It's just like something that's happening to, her, and she doesn't know when it's going to leave her or not, because it's based on a wizard that put a, put a spell on her. So it wasn't like a what if I was invincible story. It was more like, oh, uh, this happens to me. Um, I guess at some point, either I'm going to stay like this or it's going to wear off. And in the story, well, without ruining anything, but it, if you've been buying the book, eventually the curse kind of goes with the wizard that passed it. So she gets to use it one final time, which is when she's covered with magma. So, um, I, I avoided saying Mr. Uh, Mr. Powers, um, magma, Mr. Powers. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, so part of it was we wanted to have something above the title to make it stand out from the other Red Sonya books, a title above the title. I actually wanted our names above the title, but Night of, and or, yeah, or, or Connor and Pomiati's, but, uh, Dynamite was not down for that. Um, so I wanted it to stand out from the other titles. So I was looking for something initially that would make it stand out. And at the same time, even though that's an element, it's not really what the story's about. It's just one part of the story. So, um, and it's a very complicated, crazy story, but it, you're, you're, you're 100% correct. It was our wish list of crazy things we wanted to happen with Red Sonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from all the sex stuff to the violence to the, other characters, and again, giving her a couple of supporting characters for a run, um, because I, I think it's very important. We get to know somebody through the friends of somebody in a different way, you know. But it definitely was a checklist for us of everything we ever wanted to do with Red Sonia. And I mean, we still have a couple of issues to come out, and 
boy, we hit a lot of them on the checklist in the last two issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm very excited. Yeah, it feels like watching people who just love this character mm-hmm. have a fucking blast. And that comes through so clear. It was, I was like just so engrossed. I, like, I didn't know where I was anymore. I was like, I'm on this battlefield with Red Sonia cutting off this guy's head. <laughs> um, it was just so transporting. It was really delightful. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I mean, Moritat, the artist... Uh, He's really funny because, um, you know, he's going to draw the way he draws. And he just draws her naked through the book. And we have to, like, put things in front of her her uh, parts sometimes. Like when she's breaking out of the magma. Oh, yeah. And there's, like, a little, there's, like, a nipple-sized rock in front of her, you know? Yeah. And, and, there's, a, and there's a crotch side sized element blocking her. Yeah, and um, he was just like, I mean, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, it's like, of course, you know, the 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 lava had burned all of her, you know, her armor off, but she's her invincible. Hair, but her hair comes back real quick. Well, that's well, that's part of her body. No, I get you know? it. I get it's it. It's like, you know. We were laughing at that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we thought he would Austin Powers it and, you know, you know, put <laughs> things, you know, strategically in front of the things that the comics code won't allow you to show. And he didn't. Nope. Um, we actually ran into this a lot in Harley Quinn, which is another story. But we managed to move some word balloons around and some sound effects. Uh, yeah. But, you know, perfect world, we wouldn't have to do that, right? Because it, it's just the human body who gives a shit. But, right. but, yeah. um, but I think because it's a license, they kind of have to do that, you yeah. know? Um, it, it drives me crazy because I grew up, with heavy metal, reading heavy metal magazines. Yeah. So, and and plus, you're an artist. You go to art school, and there's nude models. You just don't. It's just not a big deal. Um, yeah. Somebody's head getting cut off was a big deal to me, and still is. But for some <laughs> reason, that's perfectly okay. So, uh, you know, I, I, nipple, yeah. nipple versus severed head. I don't know, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, that I think we can all agree on. It is wild. But I was also thinking, too, that this is a really sexy comic. So it Mm -hmm. kind of works in a lot of ways. Sonia's just a hot character. She's out here living her life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To the fullest. I definitely (laughs) discovered her when I was close to puberty. And I remember, like, being a huge Wonder Woman fan. And then when I Mm -hmm. discovered Red Sonia, I'm like, wait a minute. I want to be her instead. You know? And, you know, like, this badass, you know, flame-haired barbarian woman swinging a, you know, giant sword with a tin bikini. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. I I remember the first (laughs) appearance of her when she was in Conan. I think it was 23. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she jumps in that little pool of water and then she takes the top off and Conan's like, you know, it's like jaw hits the ground. (laughs) And I just remember, like, that was like the sexiest thing I've ever seen in a regular comic book. And how old were you then? Um, Old enough to appreciate it. And and, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, it's good to be a barbarian. I guess well, that's a, that's a t-shirt I wear all the time. Um, and uh, but like you know, it, again when we got the gig, we we're like, well, let's go back to the stuff that we like. And I said, you know, I I, I read a lot of the other Sonias, you know, just to see what everybody else was doing. Everything from Gales to um, you know all the other series. And I'm like saying, okay, everybody brings in what they want to get across, and some people being very political or trying to update what Sonia's agenda is and and we and I just started laughing I'm like she lives day to day and part of her day she has like three or four needs yeah 
she has, you know, it's not like she sits around and, and says, I'm going to sew, you know, or I'm going to do something. I'm going to make something like that's not who Sonia is. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't think she really thinks about what she needs in the future other than probably trying to like get her hands on some, you know, gold well, or jewels. Or like, Otherwise it's just like, you know, like I need a bath, you right, know, well, or I, also, I need some food. <laughs> I also see her as an explorer. Like she's constantly, Wants to know what's out there in the world. That's why she's constantly moving. Um, and she doesn't want to be settled down, too, on, on some level. You know, she just wants to enjoy everything in the world she can enjoy. And when she runs out of money, let me go and, you know, either go work for hire or steal something so I can get have some more fun. And uh, I, I always loved that about the character. But at the same time, when we were writing her, we were like, okay, but we can put in some of the... Uh, mystical stuff and we can you know we had the checklist right there was magic there was dragons there was volcanoes there was towns that were disgustingly dirty and filthy there was a chase on rooftops we checked that one off right away and then there was um i I mean a list was ridiculous and it was on a piece of paper do you still have it um no because i I think we fit you know we finished writing you're like we did it (laughs) yeah we did it i mean there was nothing um i bet we have it we just don't know where it is yeah yeah i mean it was like you know I, of course, we wanted to have a bar fight, you know, that had to oh, be yeah. in there, right? So it's like on a checklist. There was a scene where a horse, you know, a thing with a horse, and we just kept adding some stuff. And I said, the last two issues have a lot. Anything I didn't get to and Amanda <laughs> didn't get to is in the last two issues, and we cleverly worked them all in. Um, but we've been, we just had a blast on this thing. And, and, you know, we know it's not the deepest story, but there's a lot of little things going on in it. and. Um, mm-hmm. And also, we we have like a dark sense of humor. Like one one of our bad guys gets hit by a, a, a piece of molten rock. You know, it's we, the characters are laughing because it's so funny. Because it is, it's so stupid. You, we, He's mid speech, right? He's like, "I will destroy." <laughs> <laughs> because that's how life is, right? You don't get to yeah. do your speeches all the time. You know. <laughs> People don't people don't get hit by a car and then have a speech before they die. <laughs> you know, they sometimes they go, ah, that's it. You know, so, um, yeah, but anyway, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, it was so good. I had a lot of fun reading through this one. I think that every, I'm a big fan of so many of the Red Sonia stories. I, whenever I was a little, little kid, was reading a bunch of Red Sonia comics because they just were in stacks with all of the Conan and Thor comics that, you know, whatever relative had. And I just have always remembered her. She never is far from my mind. <laughs> I will, like, think about Red Sonia and be like, I hope that her comics are doing good right now. There has been a lot of recent, like, team-ups with her and Vamprilla that I've been really fond of. The old Roy Thomas era, Red Sonia, a lot of that stuff is just golden. That's yeah. that's what we were sort of, we were trying to unleash our inner Roy Thomas. And, um, y- you know, and like, I, I would hope that that uh, Frank Thorne would look at it and be proud. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I, you know, the crossovers are always weird to me, right? Because you, you really have to hyper think about it. You know, to to make it work for me. If it <laughs> right, does- Vimperla meets Red Sonia, and they're like, "Well, um, okay, time travel." Uh, and then they go meet Betty and Veronica. I, that's you know, amazing, hysterical. <laughs> the whole thing is so funny because then they like, and then Red Sonia is like a, a football player in high school. You know what? I don't need it to make sense. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, and there's like so many ways it, it could be made to work. I, I'm like one of those people who loves a challenge. It's like, <laughs> oh, you mean I have to solve this puzzle? Okay, sure. Uh, it's funny because uh, Dynamite's like after issue 10, they're like, so will you do some more? And I said, no, no, the story ends there. And they're like, okay, but you don't want to have like do the next adventure. I'm like, no, no, it, en it ends there. And until next time, or we get paid more money, we're not going to do another one for a while, you know? Um, but we yeah. definitely had said everything we wanted to say about Sonia because we look at it as this might be the only time we ever get to write her. Yeah. So we have to go in and just do everything we want. You know, if we do it in the future, great. But my thing is, you know, you can't think that way. You have to think this has to be the best we can give people. And uh, that was our attitude with the story. It's 10 issues total. Is that correct? Yes. It was supposed to be six, but we kept going crazy. <laughs> Like, oh, the list, it has not been fulfilled yet. <laughs> no, it, but it has. You'll, you'll no, it see, has. you'll see the last issue, you'll see, you'll, you'll start laughing at some of the things yeah. that go on there. Yeah, I think this series is the best. But I was also wondering, too, because I believe they a long, long time ago, but then also more recently, you've done some Vamprella work as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, not, not writing so much. Um, Mostly, most, mostly, uh, we, we wrote, we wrote one little story here and a couple of things, but nothing that ever, I mean, there, there was a lot of editorial, um, uh, kind of weight on those. Amanda drew a lot more and then Amanda and I both worked on the art a lot. We worked, yeah. we worked with Warren Ellis and Grant Morris and mm -hmm. Mark Millar on a bunch of books. We did a short story where, uh, Vampirella ate a, um, a little creature a little demon that that consumed a large amount of laxatives and then she had to basically shit <laughs> we out got the demon so much trouble for that story yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but she but it was fun i mean i wanted to do something silly you know i was like i had been doing you know the both of us we had been, just been doing you know like they, they wanted to see like vampirella as this like uh miserable tortured soul and i'm like well what does she do on her downtime oh go to key west during halloween and you know it's like <laughs> the yeah the issue i have with vampirella is i have no idea who that character is i mean i understand what everybody wants to do when they get on the book mm -hmm. but unlike power girl unlike harley and like what i don't know who she is even i even though i've worked on the character so and i haven't written the character very much so i've worked just on the books but I never felt I I would know who the person was on Vampirella. I've never gotten an opportunity to write Vampirella as a person. Mm -hmm. So um, I've never made the connection past the visual on the character. There was some fun, fun parts of it. But I kind of, I understood the alien woman that comes from a blood planet much more than yeah. what they did in the books. Because in the books, it seemed like they just changed her every time. They do change her a lot. I was going to say, too, that that's I think uh, we had Tom Sniagoski on the pod and it was we talked a little bit. I actually I think about the one of the issues that you drew. And then also we were just kind of talking about how kind of the good and the bad of Vampirilla is, is that every person has a totally different take on her. <laughs> And right. so yeah. you you read through and it's like if you're super just like, you know what, whatever it is, I'm just going to read it, you know, like with Vamprilla, then you can have a lot of fun with her. But then I understand what you mean, because it is a character who over time really it seems like the story is more 
like central than the character is a lot of the time. So, but I do still love Amprilla. So yeah, and we love, no, and we love Chris and you. Tom were great on the book. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I, I love really Tom's good. accent. By the way, this is a guy from Brooklyn accent saying he loves the Boston accent and, and, and Tom. Yeah, um, that Boston, it was good. <laughs> love that interview. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's funny when when they gave us Power Girl. You know, we had like a mm-hmm. couple of questions out of the gate. Like, where does she live? You know, what, what does she do? And, you know, they didn't even know how to answer them. And I think that's the same yeah. thing with Vampirella was like, where does she live? What does she do? <laughs> you know, what does she want? Right. What does she fear? And I don't, I never got a steady take on that. Um, so for me, the character yeah. never gelled 100% because I just feel like I still can't say like, who did the year one, Dark Knight year one type version of Vampirella? And I, I don't feel right. I've seen that yet, if that makes any sense. It does. And I was going to say that whereas Sonia has had a couple of year ones at this point, I think. So that's a character that I think is certainly easier to keep clear as far as what she, what her personality is, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and bring us to my favorite topic for today, Harley Quinn. <laughs> so obviously you have had many iconic runs on her and you started to say this at the beginning of the episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump back in and dig in there a little bit, but you know, I'm constantly surprised. Like I will be like, Oh, I have read all of the Connor Palmiotti Harley Quinn. Trust me. And then my partner will go and buy me some random floppies. And I discover something like Harley Quinn and the skull bags, which I'm like, I didn't even know was a title, which, oh my God, so fun. And so I'm curious for you. Cause yeah, you have written so freaking much Harley. Do, are there runs that stand out for you in your mind? Does she like live in your head and you like just pop in on her for stories? Or like, what's your relationship to her? You've made her so iconic and so your own. And it feels to me like such definitive runs. I want to know, what what's your deal with Harley? <laughs> you described it really. I, I never thought about it before, but I think you described it really well. Is She sort of lives in our head. And every once in a while, like something will happen and we'll be like, Oh, that's such a Harley moment, you know, and and oh, I, I wish we could do that in a Harley book. Right. But. Uh, well, also, I see that all the issues we did, I think it was 117 or 25 or uh-huh. some crazy number we did. I kind of see it as one linear story. And I know people go, but when is she with the Suicide Squad? And I'm like, this is this is the day after. Yeah. She's done with that Suicide Squad. It literally is. <laughs> Our, our story begins the day after because she has that thing in her neck. Yeah, I mean, our idea was that, you know, she's got the bomb in her neck. Amanda Waller tried to use it on her and it malfunctioned. It malfunctioned so, and that's it. That's she's, it. She's, you like, know? she's like, later. Later for you. She's like, oh, I don't have to stick around for this. So, and- yeah, so I see it as one big story. And, and, and um, even the last series we did, the Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, it still started from the last issue we did. And then we did a couple of shorts that actually continued. They actually start the next day. Um, even when Rebirth happened, you got to remember the issue before Rebirth. We Rebirth was the only DC comic that didn't have a new story. We literally just continued our last story into it because DC said, you know what? You guys know what you're doing. Uh, you don't have to change the book. But it started at Rebirth number one. Mm-hmm. But it literally was the story the next day. And... Um, so I've I've always seen it as a very linear book, even even with the um, like the miniseries with Power Girl or the miniseries with the little black book with the separate adventures. 
Um, I've always seen it as a very linear thing, which which might startle some people. Yeah. I love that. I'm like, I feel like I just got such an inside scoop. I'm like, oh my God. It is. You're That's f- so exciting. You're the first people we told this to. <gasps> I'm so honored. Yes. And, and uh, that was another time where we encountered somebody who just was like averse to drawing clothing was when we did the, <laughs> when we, when we did the Harley little black book with, with Lobo. Oh, Simon Bisley. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, I don't feel like drawing clothes. <laughs> She was naked in all the pages that came in. So was he. So was so was Lobo, yeah. And that boy's healthy and uh he's horse-like. He's horse uh, That's where that term comes from. Healthy as a horse. He's healthy Not as a really, horse. But, um, um but but it's so funny because I was like, oh, how are we gonna do this? And we were just like, are we gonna like cover all the art with word balloons? And then we came up with this idea like you know, DC is going to red flag this. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's just like draw little red flags to put, you know, that, that are like hiding all of the naughty bits. Entire issue is like red flags. We saw Simon two weeks ago. He's like, oh man. And goes, I knew you guys would figure a way to cover all that stuff up. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, but you could have helped us by putting our pants on at some point, you know? Um, But that said, the pages... Yeah, they were gorgeous. They were gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> they literally could make a fortune publishing that book without everything covered. Um, you know, and it will definitely be, if you thought the Batawang was a big deal, wait until you see this book, you know? <laughs> well, when you were talking earlier about nudity in comics, it reminded me of a conversation we had with Nalo Hopkinson, where she was talking about her House of Whispers run. And she was like, listen, I think nudity's fine. I just want equal opportunity nudity. And she was trying so hard to get a phallus in her books. And they were just like, no. And so she made everyone as naked as possible. <laughs> and so they ended up being like ghost people. But, you know, like the ghost part started really low <laughs> on their body. I mean, even even the Little Mermaid poster got some phallic uh, things in, you know? I mean, why not? You know, like I said, I would love love to do a Harley series. That's probably the way they can get us back. If they say, totally do whatever you want. I mean, they promised that with the Black Book, but they didn't deliver that. They censored a lot of it. And a lot of our language and a lot of the things, actually, the yeah. sto- a lot of our story well, got censored actually, too. Actually, the, the only part that we were sort of able to go a little crazy with was the language. Right. And we thought as far as physical humor and story goes, we actually were able to have a lot more leeway in the regular series than we were in the Black Book, which was weird. You know, it's like we, we were... We were able to do less in the little black book than we were in the original series, and and I think you know it's like DC had had uh, changed hands. The black label you're talking about, right? What? Yeah, yeah. You said that we did more in, in the little black. I mean, less in the little black book. We actually, yeah, we did. No, we were doing more in the little black. book, no, we but less in the black label. Oh, the black label. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the black, I'm sorry. The black, no, I'm sorry. That's sorry, what we sorry. do all day. We clear each we, other. Yeah, we're like, oh yeah, that, that thing. <laughs> it was really cute. I really liked it. <laughs> Yes, we, we actually were able to get away with more in the Little Black Book and the regular series than we were able to in the Black Label. Um, you know, we were allowed to swear and stuff um, in the Black Label, but, you know, like some of the subject matter, they were like, no, and you can't use this character. And can't put Batman in a Speedo. Can't put Batman in a Speedo. No, no. You can't. Uh, you can't. We, 
we were told that the fight between Joker and Harley was too brutal. Yeah. And that we had to tone it down. Yeah, it was. Uh, so so we started calling it the beige label. And um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it was good. It was really fun. And we enjoyed the story. But it, there was a, there mm-hmm. was a lot of. I mean, I think it. I think it drove our our editor Chris just as nuts as it drove us. Get, you know, because he's got you know corporate breathing down his neck. Um, yeah. So so yeah. I mean, it was yeah. There was a lot more uh, changes going on because it's like nope, can't do that. No, no, can't do that. It's like oh, it's a black label book. But, Come on. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I have that collection. Just it's literally within eyesight of me right now. Uh, the trade paperback that they just released that they did tabloid size, like all of the issues of the comic. Where I am a huge fan of tabloid size comics. It's my favorite thing in the world. I was I like love Love and Rockets, like all of the big comics, the Treasury editions, everything it's fun to work on too. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's like you have more space almost, right? Because even though the panels, I'm sure from the page, are still being shrunk, there is still like a bigger page, right? It is a little bit more freeing, yeah. Yeah, there was more room. It was, um, you know, because regular comics are are a little bit, you know, thin and tall. And, you know, yeah, that size is just, it's like there's more elbow room. Yeah. And I think used to good effect because it feels like you all kind of got to go a little nuts on the backgrounds in that one. I got, I felt like it was just so established and not to say that any other time it's not, because I think that one really good thing about Harley Quinn, pretty much across creators is, is that you always have a good background for where she's at. (laughs) It seems like they always choose artists that are good at that. But I was going to say that in this collection specifically, I think that the environments had enough space to really become a part of the story. And I loved that about it. I thought it was really neat. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. You, you just you reminded me of the very first question that you asked about it was what is like a part of Harley that stands out in mm. your mind? And I think for me personally, it was probably... Well, of course, like the issues where, you know, when she and Ivy go to the little island where there's the senior citizens nudist colony, because it's like <laughs> such a the, the book is so funny, but it's got like some really tender Harley and Ivy moments in it, you know, yep, and it explains it does. a lot. Yeah. But for me personally, I'm going to say it was be careful what you wish for because I get to draw the whole thing, you know, and I don't always get to draw it, you know, I, and, and I love doing that. It was just so funny to just be absolutely silly for like a full book, you know, and I, I, I find that like my sort of default self is like slapstick and silly. So, so that that particular one stood out for me. It it checks all of the boxes for Harley Quinn, right? Because it has, um, you know, the big group, she, you know, she's always working with a team, which is something that I think is really fun about that character, too, is she's always finding her people. Yeah. And then there is the fact that they does have those beautiful moments with Ivy, which I'm sure that both Essie and I are just dying to get into talking about <laughs> those two characters because they're our favorites. We both really, really love them. And also... 
also the version of those two interacting together that you two write, like that is the best version for me. There, I mean, at this point, there might be like some contenders that are pretty strong, but for me, this was like the first time that their relationship really did click for me. Not in this specific comic, in your Harley Quinn run, though, where you see them really being able to communicate with each other and have this bond that to me just was like, oh, this is so much healthier than what their past relationships were. Because I think that there's a lot of times when people think of these two characters specifically and they look at what their past relationships are and how unhealthy they were. And they're like, oh, they, they're just repeating that with each other. And in your run, I think that it's so important that that's not what's happening. I think that they are both really good at giving each other space and also that they are still very much themselves in this book. It's not like they suddenly have no bite to them or something, right? So yeah, I was just curious if you had some thoughts about that because I can gush about it truly forever because it's really one of my favorite relationships in comics. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, what were you going to say, Jimmy? Oh, I was just going to say, I, you know, I have... When writing that with Amanda, I you know we definitely had, and this might be dating myself. This this uh, moonlighting thing where we never wanted the couple to be totally just a couple. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to show how their lives were different, and when they were able to get together, it was like a gift. Um, <clears throat> but it was never about the comic was it, it, the whole series for us was about defining who Harley is through her friends and supporting cast. You know, and uh, that's why we took her out of Gotham. That's why we gave her all the crew in Coney Island. And uh, we didn't want her to be a secondary character in the Batman universe, which is, you know, that's their go-to all the time, right? The minute yeah. the minute everything, the minute we got off the book, she went right back to Gotham and became, you know, the, the Harley Quinn in, in the Batman universe again. Um, we wanted to do something completely different with this. And when we brought Harley in, you know, we, we, we were inspired, obviously, by what Paul and Bruce did on the series. Mm -hmm. And um, part of that charm was that, you know, they were kind of a little at odds with each other. And then their timing was always a little off. But you can see that Ivy had like sort of felt like the old the big sister at some point, you know, to Harley in the uh, Bruce Tim stuff, you know, and, and the relationship. Well, she's definitely the more mature character. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And, you know, so when we were, so with the relationship stuff, we were like, you know, besides the fact that DC was telling us all the time, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. We had a lot of that, where they don't have that now with the books. We had it where we could only go so far. I mean, and we, you know, it was us being kind of like a-holes a little bit when we decided to make a whole issue in a senior's nudist colony with them, because we were like, all right, I'm going to just see how far we can go with this and, and, and see what they start picking on. And um, so with the relationship, we, we just, again, we were afraid. I don't want to make this a Harley Ivy, Ivy comic either. You know, it's got to be about Harley's life, how she's trying to process everything around her. And again, you know, multiple personalities, multiple relationships, two jobs, roller derby, uh, working yeah. in the senior's home. She's at the burlesque helping Tony. You know, we wanted to keep the character in a chaos, in a bit of chaos with her personal life. And um, so the, so at least when the Ivy moments happened, they were always special. It wasn't like, oh, what are they going to do this issue? For, for us, it was more like, okay, she's back in, in her you know, corner of the universe, uh, you know, Ivy's in Coney Island or Ivy's well, there. Yeah. 
And, you know, so we wanted to always keep it special. Well, also, we, you know, I, I thought, we thought it was also really important to define the relationship that Harley and Ivy had together, which, um, you know, it's like, you know, you, you would love to, you know, like in a perfect world, if you are those two characters, the world becomes perfect and then they can spend the rest of their lives together. But that doesn't make for very exciting stories. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But and, and, and I and I'm always like, OK, Ivy adores Harley, but Ivy's first love is saving the environment and mm-hmm. the things that she has to do to stop the world from getting destroyed um you know and settling down would just take away from all that you know so i i think that that um ivy loves to you know steal her moments with harley and you know it's just it's so wonderful it's like a wonderful feeling when they're together but then ivy realizes that the world's not perfect yet and she has work to do so she can't like get lost in in the Harley, you know, the world of of having fun with Harley. You know, she's she's got a job to do, um, and I think that's also why Harley doesn't. Uh, I mean, uh, Ivy doesn't have jealousy when you know, and Harley herself, she Harley's in love with love, like she just falls in love at the drop of a hat. You know, she just is like, look and at big me. ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just like it's like I'm in love with this. You know, you know, I. Look at that person. I'm in love with them now, you know? She's just, you know, she's in love with the feelings. She's in love with this excitement. So, you know, I, I you know, in, in my brain, Ivy just sort of allows Harley to have that, you know? Mm-hmm. And knowing that Harley will always be, you know, her number one and she'll always be Harley's number one. But she allows Harley to go and, like, you know, have crushes on the whole world. <laughs> That's what's the best about it because so I'm I'm obsessed with work. That's the way that people should be allowed to be in comics. And I think in all fiction where you see a lot of times people are so obsessed as you say kind of about how people really expect to have this team up or this couple all of the time. And I think that sometimes that can be good for characters. Like I think that, you know, Peter Parker and Mary Jane is a team up where it's like, I just want to read those two together all of the time. But then there's times where it can be restrictive as well. So I think that it wouldn't have worked, you know, like from a story angle perspective, there was like that issue where, Harley is trying to get Ivy to move in and Ivy's like, Hey, I'm going to set some boundaries actually. (laughs) Like, and that's beautiful. And to me also something that indicates a lot of how a lot of queer relationships are, how a lot of relationships in general are, but how there has to be these kind of parameters that you're setting forward with any person that, you know, really, I mean, I say all the time, like friendships have to have boundaries, right? I just think that there's all of this that went into that relationship so that it was like, yeah, even if I only see Ivy in this book every nine issues or something, you know, whatever. To me, it was it was good anyway, because it was still my one of my favorite versions of Ivy. I think also this version of Ivy has helped a lot because there's been a lot of versions that have been kind of been turning her towards more of a complicated status, right? Like not just a villain status for a long time. 
But I think that this is one where it really works. So I always, and like how it's kind of pushed forward what they do with Ivy, you know, even today, I think that she continues to progress. But it really, this wasn't like necessarily the book for it to be an Ivy and Harley team up, even though it's great when it does happen, as you say. Yeah, it is. And and also it, it makes it, it makes it more exciting when it does happen. It's like Christmas, you know, it's like it, it, it doesn't happen that often. And then when it happens, it's Special. really exciting. Yeah. I remember on uh, on uh, Twitter, there was a Poison yeah. Ivy group like they, you know, they, they love Poison Ivy and they would not like me. Um, you know, they would read it. We don't like this Ivy. And, you know, we don't like what you're doing with her in the book. And they were very vocal about hating what we were doing. And then when we were off the book and the book kept going, I got a nice letter from them saying, you know, we didn't know what we were talking about. Now that we're looking back <laughs> on it, we think you guys had the best grasp on the character. We just we didn't know what the how to process it, I guess, at the time. It was a very nice letter, but I was like, well, that was a lot of wasted time of them hating <laughs> what we were doing. But, you know, again, some people love the characters for different things. And then, you know, they, they any kind of change they get upset at without processing it. But all we were trying to do was always define who Harley was. And, and, you know, their relationship definitely defined how much love Harley had to give with her pets, you know, and with her friends. And even Red Tool, who would drive her insane, she kind of has this this relationship with that is not normal, but it is, <laughs> you know, but but it is fun to watch because... It's something, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I think we were laughing because we were watching that Peacemaker show and Vigilante like reminds us of, of, uh, Red, of Tool. Red Tool. Yeah. We were, <laughs> we, we were laughing out loud. I'm like, look, they made Vigilante into Red Tool, you know? And, um, and then I wasn't the only one. Somebody did a whole article about, oh, yeah, Red Tool, it, it, you know, Vigilante is Red Tool. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, but, you know, it was fun to write them too because, Look, I, I love writing them, and I also love writing Harley and Power Girl. A different, mm-hmm. a different relationship, yeah. obviously, because they are yeah. so opposite. Yeah, we've we've talked about this on this podcast before. <laughs> I love Harley Quinn and Power Girl so much because, yeah, the thing that I personally love about your Harley is she is always ready to shoot her shot. Like she doesn't care. What scenario it is. Like, I think at one point she is falling off of a building and Power Girl is like about to save her. And she's like, or we could make out. And Power Girl is like, God damn it, Harley. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and I'm like, Harley. You know, it's just so. And that's why I thought uh, the little black book was so charming because it was like, yes, we know she's doing these things. You had implied it, you know, we had seen between the lines, we could see like, okay, she's, she's kind of like, either banging or trying to bang everybody. Right. And again, I have mad respect for that. I just love it so much. And I think it's just so funny. I think anytime two characters swap clothing, it's just really, really gay. And so when like, there's a point where she and Power Girl are in each other's clothes and she and Wonder Woman are in each other's clothes. And you, you are the masters of nailing that moment and it being both like sexy and just... So, so funny. And the secret, I love it so the secret much. Weapon, Thank you. <laughs> it's Amanda's secret weapon. I said, Amanda's artwork is to that kind of stuff is what Betty Page is to sexy photos. Yes. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey there, listeners. Do you like the pod? You like our general vibe? You want to see us eat meals, survive, thrive in the world, come back with the podcast, be cool all the time, make money, get cars. I don't know. At that point, I was just buy new shoes, buy new shoes, get a pony, invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and argue with that last one, but otherwise, (laughs) I am there with you. I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin. But hey, if you want to see us, you know, be financially soluble, <laughs> please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. We have tons of content there. We have, I think it's like a hundred back episodes. So those are things that range from talking about individual independent comics that we like as, you know, each of us on our own together to talking about why Nona Earp, why we loved it so much. Yes, we had a bonus episode about it before we had a mainstream episode about it. Who could say why? Why not? We have our cage match episodes, which are just so wild we just compare two Nicolas Cage films and then decide which is cagier and it's probably the highlight of my life if I'm being (laughs) honest we also have our intoxicated comics special that we do where we get a little bit woohoo and then talk about weird comics sometimes we have a great time and sometimes we're like what have we done (laughs) and either way it's pretty funny We also have exclusive interviews with smaller creators, all kinds of different stuff. We basically use our Patreon as an opportunity to put more good comics info out there. Oh my goodness, a very pretty bird just landed outside my window. Oh, in this spot. We got to talk about this bird. All right, let's get through it. This bird has a little red head. Oh, it flew away. Beautiful little bird. Thank you, bird. So yeah, you know, come join us on Patreon so I can look at more birds. We're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell it out. You can't go to patreon.com and then search us because we're, I don't know. We curse too much. We're some, some, they're like, you sound like some real bitches. So we're not going to make you searchable. And we were like, fair. Fair. Harsh, but fair. Yeah, I deserve that. I deserve it. And that's like exactly my next question. So I'm so glad you said that, Jimmy, which is like, it is this fine line, right? Of portraying sexy women and not, and I've been struggling with like what the not is, right? Like not objectifying, but like some objectification's fun, you know? Not being like gross, but some kind of grossness is fun. So I'm just curious, how do you find that line and and also be like so fucking hot and so fucking funny. Like how do you how do you manage that? I, I you know what it is? It's I, I mean it's just it's it's as simple as this. It's like there is nothing wrong with super sexy and 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 you know like like super ultra hot and everything, but in in my head it has to have personality. You know, there has to be like a human behind it. You know, it's like, and, and and I see a lot of times, you know, people will do hot and sexy and it'll just be, 
you know, like, like I think a perfect example is of this is like the characters of the nineties where all the men had like giant bulging veiny muscles and Clint Eastwood grimaces yeah. and <laughs> all of the women had like wasp waist and model pouts and that was it, you know, and, you know, and it didn't go beyond that. And I'm like, you know, sexy is great. And who is the person behind all of this sexy? You know, it's, it's like, I feel like um, it's really important to put a person behind the sexy or a personality behind the sexy. Yeah. I mean, I've been writing women forever in comics, you know, with Bankula Jane, Mm-hmm, yeah. With Trigger Girl and then mm-hmm. with Power Girl, we, you know, Justin and I wrote Power Girl for Amanda, mm-hmm. and I, I've been, and I think, you know, somebody asked me, it's like, you know, you, you get you get away with a lot more than other people do in comics, and you don't get shit for it, you know. And I always said, well, because we have a story, <laughs> number one, <laughs> number two, it's like we're defining who the character is, and I said, the sexuality is part of them. It's not what the story is about. It's just a part who they are. It's the it's the part of them. And I do, I like that. I, I remember why I bought comics when I was a kid and I kind of apply it, you know, I pro- kind of apply it and say, look, I like it because it's this risk taking. It's things are risky. Things are a little, it should, you should try to push the envelope a little bit. And, you know, with Harley, we always, in, in the book, I mean, look, when we took on Power Girl, we wrote a whole scene where she's running naked with groceries and they're falling down and, you know, <laughs> but I also knew my secret weapon was a man that was drawing it. And it was going to come off sweet and cute and funny and sexy at the same time. I think Amanda's art, again, Betty pages it a little bit. says people can see the wink of the eye and understand the, um, you know, it's not jazz playing sexy. You know, it's not like that <laughs> jazz is a, 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 a saxophone is going to start playing in Amanda's scenes. You know, it's it's a different. It, 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 not it, that it can't. Not that it can, but it's not that. Not that it it's it's always a little playful, and it's a and it's sweet and it's sexy, and even with Harley and Ivy, you know, there's a playfulness about them. You know, even when Harley would drive Ivy crazy, there always was a point where Ivy would smile and give in and say, uh, "You know, you, you're insane, but come over here, get get over here." And uh, even with Painkiller Jane, when I write Jane, it's whole scenes where she's completely naked having a conversation with a girlfriend and she's in the shower and they're talking completely naked. And yes, I understand who reads the book, but at the same time, that is also what I've witnessed in my life. What right. women do when they're in a hotel room, they talk they talk through their bath, they sit on the toilet and talk to each other. That's true, we do. You know, and <laughs> so I've always thought, well, if I can just reflect that a little bit in the book. And, you know, I'll piss off somebody. Of course, that's what we do for a living. We piss off people here and there. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's okay. It's okay, though. It's okay. It's okay, right? Because it, it causes conversation. And that's okay. But I, I think the secret weapon for me has always been, I have Amanda. Because when we both write Har- wrote Harley, if people didn't like parts of the books, they would blame me for it. And when they love parts of the book, they're like, Amanda Connor really knocked it out of the park in this issue. Right? I'm sorry, babe. I, no, it's okay. You know, but there were whole things where Pomiati really destroys the blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay. They, they never want to admit that both of us wrote it. Um, and they just choose sides, and I'm okay with that. But I've always had an insane respect for women, and I've always had strong women in my life. And I got to think that comes across in the in the work I work on, mm-hmm. um, because I don't really I don't really know any weak women. I don't know any. They're all strong. They're all tough guys. 
and they're all smarter than me. <laughs> and they and, if, and 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 even when I don't think that, they remind me. So it's uh, so uh, you know. So it's how we. I'm like, you know what? I'm like sitting here, like, you know what? I like this guy. I do. He's so I'm always things. reminded, but you know, but again, I like we we both enjoy him, and I both enjoy playful and fun. Yeah, and we yeah. always want that in our comics. We don't want people to pick up a book Amanda and I did and say, "Oh, this this wasn't fun," mm-hmm. right? Because even in Sonya, as crazy as it is, there's a, there's a joy to it. Oh yeah, 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 hundred percent. And I think the joy is the thing we have to go for in the books. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily like to write things where I'm trying to preach. I think you have to stay true to the comics. And I I can't read a lot of comics because they're trying to preach to me some values without and and shove them onto the character. And I just feel I can smell it when it's not exactly coming from the character. You know, I I wrote a book, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, and. uh, a guy wrote me a letter because he says, I don't like your politics in the book. And I said, well, you should blame Uncle Sam because that's his politics. And <laughs> and you should blame uh, the human bomb because that's his politics. And I said, as far as my politics, I said, I hope you understand that each character has a different you know, set of ideas and thoughts. Sure, they come from me, but I have to stay in character for each character. So it's not always stuff I agree with. I don't always write it. It's just an interesting thing how people dissect stuff. But with our comics, I always say, if we can't, Amanda and I are always trying to make each other laugh when we work together. Yeah. So that really was, I think, the charm of our Harley Quinn run, was you mm. could tell two people that were making it, and then three with Chad and and, uh, and John Timms and everything, mm-hmm. were always trying to up each other as far as how crazy they can get with each other and how much fun <laughs> they can have. And in the quiet moments, the moments where she's reflective or... She's uh, talking about the Joker or when she confronts the Joker. You know, all the years of therapy we paid for finally pay off. (laughs) (laughs) We get to use it in our books. Yeah, we get to use it in the books. Which is a great segue to a question we have from Monica, who couldn't be here today, which is about how how does mental illness, mental health, and, you know, now I want to know your own therapy, how does that play into the writing of Harley's dialogue and the scenarios you put her in? I know you're not trying to preach something, and I got nothing but respect for that because I love a good time. But, like, how did it feed into it, I guess? Well, you know, I, it, it really helped when Harley was being Dr. Harleen Quinzel, you know? It was really handy to have that that knowledge and that experience, you know, and it was coming from a realistic place. Yeah, um, I mean, I took care of my mom, you know, we took care yeah. of my mom. Uh, until she passed away. And, you know, there was a lot of responsibility there. And I used to go every once in a while that her therapist would have me come in to sit with my mom because my mom had some issues that I needed to understand better. So I would sit in therapy with my mom as my mom would talk about things that happened in her life and how they affected her. And it was, you know, a a frightening thing for a a son Mm -hmm. to sit through. But I learned so much about her and also the respect I have for therapy and also to understand, you know, what makes people do what they do and motivates people and also how they, how they, um, how my mom processed a lot of stuff was very important. And uh, the processing of things is extremely important because you have cheerleaders in your life and they tell you, you know, no matter what happens, they go, don't worry, tomorrow will be better. And that's like putting a bandaid on a shotgun wound, you know? Uh, yeah. at, at the time, it's like, okay, I, I, I understand you're, you're coming from a nice place, 
but it's not really, you know, very helpful uh, in the moment you're in. And a lot of the stuff we wrote with Harley was stuff that we would talk about, you know, things we do. And therapy helped because therapy would uh, take things that we sat in the dark, emotions we had, problems we had that sat in the dark and shine a light right on them, you know, so much so that we'd work them out to the point where they can't be in the dark anymore. And, uh, and you know, shame and all that kind of stuff does not live in the light. And a lot of the stuff we talked about and did made its way into Harley without being preachy and without being, it just, we made it, it worked its way into the book. It was just there and it helped the story along. Yeah. And it, and it's, it gave her more personality and it also helped when we were writing her interactions with Cyborgman, who was an older, much older character. And they would talk about age and getting old and, you know, his fears and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff works its way in there um, because of course, as writers, you, you learn and you try to apply. And uh, so a lot of that, you know, was a lot of Amanda and I also talking out a lot of things, which is uh, always great to do. Again, bringing things into the light, getting rid of the dark. That's that's uh, the goal in life with any relationship, I think. I love that. I think it's so apparent, too. And and I've always thought, you know, in, in many iterations of Harley that one of the coolest things is the way that she can be this zany, unpredictable character who has like a kind of terrifying amount of insight into human behavior and the psyche. And so, you know, you can underestimate her easily. And then suddenly she's reading you for filth or she's using your weaknesses against you because she understood you better. And I think that it's cool to hear that there's also a way that that, that, uh, therapeutic maybe skill knowledge even internal journey of hers was also translated into a lot of her characterization and the conversations she had that is so cool thank you i I was really nice to hear about and thank you for sharing about your mom jimmy that was very Uh, special yeah no no she was she was uh she was my first uh uh female tough guy (laughs) so uh you know, she she grew up with um with ten children all together. I think it was nine. Nine nine children, yeah. Nine yeah. Children. I always I always count like the one. Um <laughs> and um and uh and no, you know, abandoned father, right? Left early mm-hmm. on. My mom made it to third grade before she had to take a job at a factory. So wow. she only had a third grade education mm-hmm. and still managed to bring up four boys, look after my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the madness, you know, and it just, she was such a tough guy. Mm-hmm. And yet, to her last day, great sense of humor. Yeah. Funny. Uh, loved Amanda, of course, because how could she not? Um, <laughs> you know, and, but you, you know, these are people, you know, in your life that that's what you base these characters on, the strength, because our superheroes and our, our characters are all based on strengths, right? And we want to read mm-hmm. about, you know, how their process and, and their journey. And Amanda's great with that too. You know, she she sees the characters in another way that I do. And when we both write the book, it it comes together pretty well. Mm. You know, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say <laughs> agreed. Big fan. Big fan. And Amanda's parents, they tell them about your your parents are my great. Parents are, you know? Yeah, my 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 mom and dad are pretty amazing. Um my mother is a huge fan of like painters and illustrators and I, I think her fantasy for me was I was going to grow up to either become the next Georgia O'Keeffe or Marie Cassatt or you know something like that and I was mm-hmm. like comic books <laughs> and um, I think my dad was really happy about that because he wanted to be a comic book artist when he grew up and 
in the 1950s, there weren't any parents out there that said, you want to be a comic book artist? Why, that's a great idea. Let's see what we can do to make that happen. That that like that never happened. It was mm-hmm. usually, you want to be a comic book artist? Oh my God, you're gonna starve. And you know, <laughs> and, you know, so his parents, of course, really discouraged him from it, which is I th- I think my my grandfather, who was really good at math and an engineer, was just like not hearing of it. My grandmother, uh, on his side, was a little bit um like more accepting of artistic things and and she didn't discourage him quite so much so he didn't become a comic book artist like he had he wanted to work for mad magazine and uh he went into advertising instead which you know makes lots of money but it's kind of soul-sucking um but he was very happy when i decided that i wanted to be a comic book artist mm. And ended up working for Mad, right? So. Yeah, yeah, that was like one of his proudest moments for me. He's like, "You're you're working for Mad Magazine? That's great!" You know? <laughs> yeah, her, her dad is easy to buy gifts for. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like those big giant coffee table Mad Magazine things. Like, uh, oh, and they had all these. This is a funny side. They have all these pictures of uh, those crazy Basil Wolverton faces. And I think when he was like 13 or 14, he was obsessed with them and he wanted to draw like Basil Wolverton. And then he did. And my granny nan found all of his pictures and took him to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yep. <laughs> she's like, what is this? And she's like, what's wrong with you? And then like, you know, took him for analysis. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. My parents were, I, I was, one of the few cartoonists of my generation around my age that were encouraged by their parents. There's, there's not too many, um, I, I'm going to say like old Gen Xers that probably, and, and even like young baby boomers that mm-hmm. were encouraged by their parents to be, you know, go into cartooning and comic books. I think it's a lot more prevalent with, um, uh, millennials and Gen Zers, they have like really open-minded parents going, you want to do that? Well, let's see how we can help, you know, help you make that happen, which I think is pretty sure. cool. You know, I think well, that's great. The, the whole vibe around it has changed, right? Because yes. For the longest time, people were like, comics, that's basically pornography. <laughs> and then pretty much. Kind of- now it's very much like, oh, it's, you know, New York Times bestseller list yeah, stuff. So yeah. They just never had real pornography. Yeah, for sure. Because if you say comics like pornography, I'm like, oh god. Yeah, <laughs> calm down, so far buddy. Yeah. yeah. Although so there far. is some porn comics, and so God bless, far, but <laughs> so yeah, so so far. Yeah. I was going to ask because Monica also gave us another question about Harley's Jewish ancestry and if that was a really vital part because that's a character that a lot of people, we've actually talked with Monica before about how people will just actually not really acknowledge it or something. And I think one of the things that was really special about your run is is that her Jewish ancestry does come up and is a part of her life. So was that something that played a big part in how you were writing her? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had asked Paul, you know, I wish I'd talked to him more about what his intent was when, mm-hmm. you know, he, he made uh, Harley the Jewish girl from Brooklyn yeah. Um, so I, I just sort of like in my head, I'm like, Harleen Quinzel. All right. Harleen is an Irish name. 
Quinzel is a Jewish name. So I'm like, okay, her mom is Irish, I guess. And her dad is Jewish, but, and usually in, in like, um, in the Jewish religion, like you take after your mom, like if your mom is Jewish, you're Jewish. But I, you know, I, I don't know how strict, you know, like I, I think the Quinzel family is not like a strict religion abiding family. They, you know, they're part to of- say the least. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yep. They're definitely like the Jewish families around me when I grew up. Right, they're not- who would come over for Christmas morning and looking yeah. for their gifts. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up with um with a uh, a family that I was really close to, and they had they did the whole Hanukkah thing, and then they put up the Christmas tree. You know, so I I think I I feel like Harley's family is that family. So Harley will celebrate absolutely any holiday because it's a holiday, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's not going to be picky about it. It's like, what? I get to, I get time off from work and I get to like put lights up and buy gifts and eat, you know, treats. Okay. <laughs> you know, so that was sort of how we approached Harley. She is a Jewish girl that will celebrate all the holidays. She doesn't care, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know. She, Celebrates she, every day, really. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And it, yeah. was, it was also the, uh, you know, with the gang of Harleys, right? We had, yes. uh, you know, we had, we tried to create, like, if every everybody wanted to be a Harley, and, and um, we had Hanukkah Harley, right? That was the, uh, um, she was. Uh, Hannah Quinn. Hannah uh, Quinn, yeah. So and was, and I, she, yeah, Hannah, she's Cy uh-huh. Borgman's uh, group. Her, his brother, the the one who he was always competing with, that it says in the um, you know, in the in that story that we did, he yeah. has a brother that he was always competing with, and Hannah is that brother's granddaughter. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we you know the cartoon version of Cyborgman is different than our our version because in the yeah. cartoon version they make him like a a, a, a a landlord, a stereo. Yeah, they kind of take the stereotype that we weren't yeah, trying to he's, do. He's an ex spy. He's like ex James Bond. And you know he's like a <laughs> yeah. like like a cyborg ex James Bond. You yeah, know? He, so. and, you know even though he was like a Coney, an old Coney Island Jewish guy in our comic, it's because that's what I grew up around. Mm. Um, in the cartoon, they kind of went with the landlord kind of burning down buildings stuff, which I was not crazy about. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it kind of a lot of people have talked about that, right? And been like, that was not great. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish they would. You know, I wish that's a separate entity, but. Um, you know, the Jewish, I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn. It was, I grew up with Irish, Italian, Jewish, mm-hmm. Puerto Rican, and black. Like, that's what I grew up in. That's the mix. And we always used to say the one thing we all have in common is we like each other's food. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's true. so there was a lot of a lot of swapping meals going on. Although we did have a lot of kids dropping by on Sunday when my mom was cooking. We had a lot of different people. Yeah, your mom would cook by. her ass off. Yeah. Um <laughs> but but the, but you know we just kind of like it Bruce and and uh, Paul set her in, in Brooklyn and it's kind of easy for me to write Brooklyn. I lived there for 45 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah it's hard to not think of that accent, right? That very first appearance um that is it's such a iconic animated appearance where you're just like you I can never totally hear her speaking another in another voice right right right, right. so the, so that so it makes sense that the the Jewish culture of course that's there that's who that's part of who she is yeah 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 I'm glad you think so too I always we've talked a lot of, on this podcast about it before where we've been kind of like 
we love it when people at least at least acknowledge it and kind of run with it a little bit because sometimes it seems to kind of vanish from the books a little bit. Well, our, but, our Christmas special we covered it pretty well, I thought too, which yeah. is pretty mm-hmm. funny. You know, the, the the whole issue. One of the stories in there was based on a true story too, so it was kind of <laughs> that was kind of funny. Yes, uh, yes. We we get into that in another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll have to have you back. <laughs> yes, the next podcast could be about how the stuff that happened in our real lives made it into all the Harley books. <laughs> yes. Yeah, everything we've gotten so far, I've loved. So we're ready for chapter two anytime. There you go. <laughs> so we are big fans of yours, obviously, and we want to keep up on everything that's going on. Invincible Red Sonia, I believe, just now is getting collected as a trade paperback. And I am certainly picking that up. But what do you have that's coming down the pike? Like, are you working on any big projects that you can currently talk about? (laughs) Because I know a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm excited about this one thing that I cannot say anything about because otherwise my agent will put a hit out on me or whatever. (laughs) Um, We we're we're doing um, I'm I'm trying uh, my hand at illustrating. Uh, Jimmy and I are writing this together, but I'm illustrating a vertical comic and it is proving to be more challenging than I thought it would be. It's like, um, it's like going to art school all over again because it's so (laughs) much different than, you know, comic books, you know, the layout and the pacing and everything. So it's for a thing called Zest World. And um, Jimmy's already, he's already got his... uh, Yeah, if you go to ZestWorld.com, you'll see the Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti page and you can subscribe it's a mailer so you get it in your mailbox every week and there's comics and it has different levels you can, it could be free it could be a pay level um but we're working on two books and and uh, the one the one that's already like 20 pages in is a book called found which is a story i'm doing with juan santa cruz about a um a family that's uh that is like uh sort of like working for smithsonian or filming a uh, volcano in the Pacific, in the international waters, and the volcano erupts and spits out a spaceship. <laughs> and it's about what happens. What? After. Yeah, and it's what happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then Amanda, Amanda's story. Go. Oh, you can talk about that. Um, it's um, it's called Boom Pow, and it is uh, it takes place in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, it is a young lady who owns a donut shop because that was one of our favorite things when we went to New Mexico was the donut shops. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) she has a, a, a special, but kind of useless superpower um, that she really doesn't know what to do with it. And it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. And on one of her treks into the desert to look for the rare desert truffle, that is the ingredient of her most popular donut. Um, she stumbles upon upon an immortal. And what's her name? The girl who owns the donut shop is K Boom, and uh, the immortal is Booty Pow Pow. So, uh, <laughs> Booty Pow Pow. Well, I will be reading both of those. They sound incredible. <laughs> well, it's it's not up it's not up yet because I'm still like you know working on it. Um, but it will be up soon. It'll be well, up very soon. I'll be yes. waiting with bated breath. Yes, yeah, Booty Pow Pow. And uh, so that's at ZestWorld.com. And then we have a short story coming from probably in the fall for 
DC Comics that has something to do with what we were talking about today. And then mm. we can't really mention it. And then we have a uh, a teaser you'll see solicited in the end of June. What are those other things we can't talk about? We can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it for Image Comics. And it is uh, like a part two of something we did many years ago. But I can't say mm. what it is, but you can you can put on your Colombo jacket and go uh, find out. <laughs> and then go out oh, in the I'm rain. sure. And then go you stand know. in the rain for an hour. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Um, so that's it. That's what we got going on. I mean, we got to Oh, we're doing a Kickstarter uh, in a couple of weeks. That's going to be uh, the first Amanda Connor sketchbook. Yes. And what's oh, and, wow. and what's the theme of the sketchbook, Amanda? Um, sort of like sexy, uh, naughty, and and sort of filthy things that I've done in my life. Or I've drawn in my life, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say, that, <laughs> that's that's this special, uh, if we hit $1 million in Kickstarter, we're going we're gonna to offer the video of the other things you mentioned. So, uh, okay. so we'll see. Well, that's a, we'll that's see a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, amazing, amazing. Well, I mean, Amanda, Jimmy, you've been incredible. Uh, before we go, I know you, you gave us some links there. So listeners, if you didn't hear those, they will be in the show notes. Do you all want to plug anywhere folks can find you online elsewhere? Maybe social media? Oh, I am a terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> social media person. I I have I have two, I have a Twitter handle and I have an Instagram account. And I just just miserably ignore them so much. You know, I really need to pay better attention her, to them. Her Twitter thing, she posts Wordle things on it. Yeah, that's about it. And, and and it is the most ironic Twitter handle that anybody has ever had. It's called Amanda Rants a lot, which is pretty much the opposite of what I do. Um and uh <laughs> my my Instagram is Amanda Connor Art. Yeah and uh mine is uh my Jay Palmiati on, on Twitter and I actually am on it on it a lot. And Instagram is the same thing under our name. But we do have a website called paperfilms.com. And um, if you go on the website and you just click on a subscribe, you get once a month, you'll get pretty much what we're doing, what shows we're going to be at, and a lot of Amanda's art. Whatever she's working on, you'll see a bunch of that, like some pencil roughs and stuff like that. Um, but we also kind of, yeah, we just want to make sure people know where we're going. If we're going to go around the hometown, we want them to come out and say hi. So. We definitely list all our shows. And I think our next couple are like Washington, D.C., right? And then yeah. uh, San Diego Comic-Con are the initial ones right away out of the game, yeah. right? Yeah. Are those the next two, Washington, then San Diego? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we finished Megacon, and we managed to get out of there without COVID, unlike most so of So far. The, yeah, unlike, unlike, <laughs> mo unlike most of our friends. So, you know. So, so far, far, so good. So far. We'll tell you Thursday we, when we yeah, check we, again. We, we, tested, <laughs> we tested last night and today, and then we're going to test again in a couple of days yeah. just to see, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm sending you non-COVID vibes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank I you. hope you're in the clear. I hope you're in the clear. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. Listeners, if you missed any of that, don't worry. You can go click on our show notes and we'll have links to places you can find more about Amanda and Jimmy. Amanda and Jimmy, oh my God. This was like, I laughed so hard. I cried at least twice. I learned so much. I love the inside scoop that we got on the timeline. I'm going to be thinking about that when I try to fall asleep tonight. I am just having the best time. This was great. We will have to have you back. It sounds like there's many more stories to tell. And we will look forward to that. Sarah, you're the best. Thank you, as always. Monica, we missed you today, but thank you for your great questions. They helped lead the conversation in fun directions. Kate, our sound editor, we are so lucky to have you and we love you. Listeners, patrons, followers, thank you for being with us. And thanks for another great episode of Bitches on Comics. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @bitchesoncomics and on Instagram at, at @bitchesoncomics. Our website is brace yourself bitchesoncomics.com if you go there you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs i don't remember what it is i am in charge of updating the website however so good luck thanks for the heads up i'll go to this website now if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm Essie Fleenor. You can learn more about me at essiefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Essie underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.